Have you ever felt frustrated because you just couldn't find a lovely book to read? I can start to crave not just a good book, but a book that draws me in and evokes such a deep emotion that I can say, wow, that was a lovely book. Welcome friends, this is Emmy B on Lovely Books Podcast, where it's my job to highlight the lovely books that keep you reading and connect you to the world. If you're new to Lovely Books, this podcast is more than just a best books podcast. It's about the reader's experience and takeaway. No book reviews, no analysis of literary content, just thoughts and personal anecdotes brought to our minds by the characters and subject matter that we love. That's what brings the book to life for you. I hope we give you something to think about, something to laugh about, and something lovely to read. In this episode, James Garrett will highlight the book Atomic Habits by James Clear that was published in 2018. So James, I'm so excited to have you here today. But before we dive into this book, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? My background is in psychology. Um, I I spent most of my 20s doing research in in research labs. So um, sort of brain and behavioral science, uh, you know, and worked with some really, really amazing psychologists in that period, mostly on the East Coast in New York and Boston. And um, yeah, very much thought I was becoming going to become a researcher, a professor. And um, and then I at 29, my wife and I joined uh, Peace Corps and they sent us across the ocean to Jordan, which was what Peace Corps obviously does was very intentional. We didn't know where we'd be going. That part yeah. was a little bit mysterious. Yeah. But uh, anyway, spent two years working um, with youth over there. And then we built this brain-based curriculum that one thing led to another. And we were there during the Arab Spring. This was 2011 uh, when this sort of all came out. And um, anyway, there were, we, were, we, had, we were sort of hitting a nerve or our curriculum or program had really hit a nerve in this really interesting moment. So a lot of people were asking if they could sort of use our program or whatever. And anyway, one thing led to another. We ended up meeting the queen. She asked us to partner with one of her organizations. And so we did. So we, so anyway, long story short, we founded our own organization called Think Unlimited, um, came back to Jordan. Uh, we did that for a couple of months, just set up a new entity after our Peace Corps service. And then uh, spent four additional years. So we were there a total of six years. So from cool. when I was 29 to 35 during those years. That's crazy. And cool. uh, so, yeah. So in that, that time, I got pretty, um, well, we were a social startup, right? So we had all the startup pressure of building something, you know, everything from raising money to building a board of directors and partnerships and staff and building curricula and content and whatever. But one thing that was for me interesting was, trying to get it was a really interesting challenge to get to get brain science out of the labs and into people's lives where it really makes a difference Mm -hmm. um so so we did a lot of that right experiential learning and and built these whole robust curricula a lot of us positive psychology critical and creative thinking entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. these types of things so so yeah, so we did that uh, till 35. I came, we came back to the States um, in 2015 and uh, I've been building Brain by Design ever since. And it's my own kind of independent company thing. And uh, now I, yeah, I, I still am very much in that role, I guess, of like science translator um, of, of taking what is really interesting and very cutting edge neuroscience and behavioral science, but making it understandable, actionable, relevant, interesting, etc. 
And I love that. I think, um, so we went to high school together, which is cool. And junior high. Mm -hmm. Um, and -hmm. when we reconnected a couple of years ago, that was one thing that I feel like we really connected on with you and your wife and me and my husband is, um, the idea of neuroplasticity and the science of the brain and how fascinating it is. And that's something that I have always been interested in. And so has my husband, but to your point, a lot of the books that are available for people to read about the brain and the science of the brain aren't really accessible in terms of being able to read them and make them actionable in your life. Right. Yeah. So I think it's really cool what you're doing to try and take that information and give people a method or something, you know, that they can relate to, to be able to use that science in everyday living. So yeah, it, it, it's sort of like, it's great sitting on a dusty shelf in some university library. That's one way to sort of catalog the advancement of knowledge or science, right. but, but, but a very different kind of imperative, as I see it, is to find ways to tr- really, there, there's really, I, I think, and I think scientists themselves underestimate how important this is because that's not their role. They're really, their right. role is really to advance basic knowledge. But once you get out in the real world, you realize how hard that process actually yeah. is. So it's, it, it's a real, I think there's a real need and I'm one of many, but, but I think there's a, a real need uh, for anyone who might be listening. Uh, maybe you were a psychology major and you didn't know what to do with that, which happens a lot. Um, I think there's a real need for these sort of synthesize. It's almost like synthesizers, right? Dan Pink yeah. talks about these sort of synthesizers as, as taking all this, these bodies of knowledge, but then applying them in unique contexts yeah. where they where they really can make a difference. Yeah. I love that. Um, and I love habits. So I'm excited to talk about habits. Um, I was driving my kids to school this morning and I always tell them, you know, like what's going on with the podcast. And today I said, you know, I'm going to talk about this book about habits and I've actually been trying some of these methods out on my 14 year old daughter who has heinous habits as 14 year olds do. (laughs) Every parent will like raise their hand. Yeah. That's my kid too. Right. So I'm trying to like talk to her about these. And I was, I was actually talking to her about um, one of my all time favorite books. I used to listen to the audio book every single year. And that's the seven habits of highly effective people. Mm. Um, And so I was like, you know, I got my first Franklin planner in 1996. They were like, um, mom, that was 25 years ago. (laughs) The seven habits. It was published in 1989 and I'm, you know, pretty close to have been following it since then. Do you want to start us off with giving us kind of an overview of, of what this book Atomic Habits is? Yeah, sure. So, so James Clear, and and to be clear, (laughs) To be clear, there there are there are many good books on habits out there. Um, his just distills all the science in such a crisp, easy to understand, and joyful read. It, it's so good. It, every page is just packed with insight and wisdom, but not in any way, shape, or form being overly complex. It is concise and packed, mm-hmm. which is great. He's really walking us through this kind of framework. Uh, it was originally 
the original framework was sort of summarized and, and popularized by Charles Duhigg in his book, The Power of Habit. But, but Charles Duhigg is, of course, just summarizing a lot of the neuroscience. So, so again, this is about science communication, right, of getting it out of the kind of journals and into a, a form like a Barnes & Noble bestseller yes. that, that can actually make, that make sense to most people. So, so Charles Duhigg's sort of popularized it, and then James Clear sort of modified it a little bit. And what it is, is you've got these different components of what make what he calls the habit loop. So you've got a trigger or cue, something that prompts you or reminds you or sort of kickstarts a habit process. Um, and then in James Clear's model, he, this is what he added, you have a craving or some kind of motivational response that you want something. So you have that craving, which is about motivation, and then it moves you to do something. So then it's the action or behavior. So, so again, cue, craving, behavior. And then the last thing is a reward. So um, something you get, it doesn't have to be um, external to you. Ideally, it's usually internal to you. You get some sense of satisfaction, sense of accomplishment. If the reward is what psych psychologists call intrinsic reward, uh, it tends to be more satisfying and certainly more sustainable, long-lasting. Intrinsic motivation is always a, if in doubt, it's the better way to motivate. And then it connects back, the reward connects back to the cues. So this habit loop of cue, craving, behavior, reward, he actually, I think, calls it cue, craving, routine, reward, is what a habit is made up of. So the basic architecture of the book is that it walks us through this, first of all, and then it goes through various ways at each of those four points that a habit, what, what makes up a habit, to, uh, for tools and tips and strategies for things we can do at each of those stages. Can you like just generally walk us through an example of that? Let me just give you his four main principles, right? The four yeah. main things that correspond to each of those four parts. Yeah. One is make, make it obvious. Mm -hmm. So make whatever it is you're doing or the cues and prompts associated with that behavior, make them super like painfully obvious, make it visible. Yeah. You don't want to be drawing on memory for those things. What you really want to be doing is activating the behaviors through obvious cues, like your workout clothes sitting on your mm -hmm. nightstand. Uh, when you wake up, they're already there. You see them. That would be a perfect example of a cue to get you to go out the door and go for your morning run. Um, make it attractive. Habits in the beginning, especially, are more difficult than what we've been doing because they're breaking the status quo. You're moving into some kind of new behavior, and that new behavior takes effort in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a life cycle to a habit, and over time, it actually gets easier and easier and easier, and over time, it becomes almost effortless. Right. But but in the beginning, it is a bit of a uphill push, and so you want to be able to make it attractive, make it. Mm -hmm. You don't want to white knuckle it. You want to actually combine it. He calls it temptation bundling. Yeah. You, you know, if, if you're working out, you want to be watching Netflix while working out. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. um, the fourth, the third thing is making it easy. Mm -hmm. So typically in habits, the biggest mistake we make is we end up um, going too big too quickly. Right. It's, it's yeah. like go big, go yeah. big or go home. Um, that's a lovely idea. It just doesn't tend to work in practice. I feel like that's kind of where our New Year's resolutions go wrong. Yeah. Is that with me and actually my older sister, Amy, 
we always say that they're not New Year's resolutions, they're New Year's revolutions, because we're going to yeah. do something revolutionary yeah. and grand. Yeah. And then come March, it was like, I don't even remember what that was. Yeah, what was that? <laughs> yeah. I wrote it on paper somewhere. I just don't right? know where that paper is. But that's yeah. what it is. It's because we have these like yeah. big things that we want to do and it's too much. Yeah, it's too much. But I too like mu- that- too much all at one time. Mm-hmm. And I like that he talks about this idea of a 1% improvement. Since we're talking about like, n- these don't have to be major things. He, he gives that, uses that nice example of the British cycling team, how Brit- Britain had this uh, pretty abysmal record on their cycling team for the Olympics. And um, they got a new, I don't remember if it was a new trainer or whoever, but somebody who was working with the athletes um, started looking at every single aspect of everything they were doing, everything from the tire inflation to the foods they were eating right before sleep to optimize their sleep to the the aerodynamics of their helmets, everything, every single thing. And and again, these are all like James Clear's words, 1% improvements. They're not that big of a deal on their own. Right. But when you add them all up, the the cycling team when they put these all together and really trained on this for 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 a number of years uh, became the dominant cycling force in the world. So they started taking golds. They 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 had this incredible track record. So they started winning. So it, it habits are a bit the same where they in the daily execution of them they're quite boring. They're very monotonous and a little bit, um, they're just unsexy. There's nothing like, right. there's nothing to write home about them <laughs> totally. while doing them, right? Totally, yeah. And so part of the challenge, I think, for most of us is to play a long game and see that it's actually about that relentless consistency, even when yeah. it seems unimportant, not that big of a deal to miss, all that stuff, that it's actually, you know, it is, it is important not to miss. Um, even if it's a mini habit or a small version of that behavior. Yeah. So if we're using the example that you were, where like you have your gym clothes out on your bed and so you put them on in the morning, you don't have to start out going out and running five miles. No, start out with a walk around the block. Yeah. I call them sunshine walks. It's better to do it in the morning because you'll get, you'll activate your entire bodily system. If you get low, if you get sunshine within an hour of sunrise, Uh, go for a walk during that time, it literally will affect positively almost every area of your life. See, and I loved that because I felt like getting up in the morning and going running is so overwhelming. Mm. I, I will defeat myself before I get out of bed. But if I've spent the last six months getting out of bed and walking around the block, then maybe after six months, I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna make my block a little bit bigger, right? You're spot on. You're spot yeah. on. And, 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 it, and it's about it's about where you're placing your focus. So most of us place the focus on intensity. So it's like we we with the New Year's resolution example you brought out, New Year's revolutions. Uh, <laughs> the problem is that it's so ex- it, they're very exciting. The reason we yeah. do it is it amps yeah. up our dopamine system. Yeah. We're just super enthused. We're like, <laughs> oh my gosh, this year is gonna be amazing. Let's <laughs> right. pull out the party makers, right? Totally. Um, but intensity is not where we should be focused. Yeah. Consistency is where we should be focused, not intensity. So you dial down the intensity, make it a sunshine walk every morning, but then be relentlessly consistent about doing that every morning. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Even when it's not that exciting, it's kind of, it literally like takes you five minutes. That's the starting place. And then you're exactly right. Over time, you can build in intensity once you have a consistency foundation. Right. I love that. So it's cue, craving, routine. Make the routine easy. Make mm-hmm. the actual behavior, minify it, right? Make it yeah. small. Yeah. And then the last one is reward, which is he, he's his principle. Make it satisfying. So, so do things that amplify or sort of call attention to the fact that you just did something. And yeah, it may have just been a walk around the block, but it was something. Something's always better than nothing. And it's always better to celebrate than not celebrate. So make it satisfying, like genuinely, like tell yourself you just did something you hadn't done before. Right. Like, don't make it inauthentic, but make it feel, we do this with kids very well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a one you tied right. your shoe. Yeah. yeah, right. It's it's like always <laughs> we're celebrating. There's a, there's there's a reason that kids learn so fast. Their their brains are very plastic, but or malleable. But um, but uh, the other thing is they're always getting positive reinforcement at a very yeah. on a very quick level from all of us adults. So the same thing is true with our brains. So like when you when you celebrate, you release dopamine. Dopamine fuses the habits in place more quickly. Will you talk about that a little and explain that? For sure. So dopamine isn't actually really a pleasure chemical. It's an anticipation chemical. So, so in, in other words, dopamine is not about happiness. Dopamine is about motivation. Mm-hmm. If you were to divide the brain's neurotransmitters or neurochemicals into two categories, you have the, they call them here and now neurochemicals, the H&Ms. Mm-hmm. And then you have the future-oriented neurochemical. It's only one. It's only dopamine. It's a powerful one, though. So you have the here and nows, and then you have um, dopamine. So the here and nows are serotonin, oxytocin, endorphins, and endocannabinoids. Those are the four broad classes. And then with, with things that make you want things, that make you work for things, that make you anticipate that something good is around the corner, yeah. that's all dopamine. Let's go in a phone checking habit. Okay? okay. So we're getting into sort of like not just just uh, New Year's resolutions, but typical things in our day, right? That we're trying to, yeah, that habits that we have. Sometimes we're trying to break. Yeah. So, so checking social media is such an easy example. Email is the exact same system. Why we check our emails so often, for example. So go to check social media. You get a, you know, on Instagram or Facebook or wherever you are, Twitter, you get a barrage of novel information, of new information. Mm -hmm. So brains are, you know, it's just lovely to say, you know, we're like infovores, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Humans, we love information. So it, it activates the novelty seeking part of the brain. Mm -hmm. And, and it is satisfying in the moment, right? There's some satisfaction, but what it really does is make us want more information. Yeah. Or, or more novelty. Yeah. Um, So, so it's the anticipation of what you're going to find yeah. on Facebook that makes you go back to it. Mm-hmm. That's what makes you pull out the phone and actually refresh your newsfeed. Right. As you're doing it, actually, because you're doing the activity, the experience of doing it over time becomes a little empty. It doesn't feel as good as we anticipated that it would feel. Mm-hmm. Basically, dopamine's lying to us. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. In other words, like what, what actually creates happiness in, 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 in almost 
you know, in, in almost every situation are the things you would expect, right? Connection, you know, mm-hmm. with other humans hanging out with other people, um, uh, gratitude, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, if you look at positive psychology, there's a number of different things, but, but checking Facebook isn't one of them. It's not on there. Shocking. Does it? And, but there's a very, it's just, it's just, it's a little bit like gambling, right? right. So, yeah. so the, the yeah. anticipation of hopefully winning, mm-hmm. right. Uh, is what keeps you pulling the slot. But um, in this case, the, the reward is just simply more information as opposed to money. But, but the, the actual systems that are being played are exactly the same. Interesting. So what would you say is sort of the difference between like a routine, natural tendency and a habit? Are those kind of the same things? Can we define habits a little bit? Yeah. Habit is really any behavior that's repeated over time. But it can also be thoughts or emotions that are also repeated over time. It doesn't have to be behavior. Like, why is this book called Atomic Habits? Not like, what does he yeah. mean by atomic habits? He means, so So two things. One is that atoms are the, the smallest element of any larger whole. Right. And so habits in that way are the sort of micro behaviors that make up who we are and who we become. Mm-hmm. So, so they're part of a system. That system actually is us. I mean, even when you look at on, on a neural level, the brain is really just a large system, a neurochemical system. So habits, um, atomic habits are, and he also means it in the sense that the most successful route generally uh, to, to, to creating positive habits is making them smaller, not bigger. Yeah. And so, so making a mini, you know, BJ Fogg would call these tiny habits. So can you talk for a second about the connection between like our habits and our things that we do repeated over time with our identity? Yeah. So, so he does, he brings up this really lovely um, model in the beginning of the book where, where um, he has three concentric circles. So in the, in the middle is the deepest kind of most core part of who we are, which is our identity, as you said. Uh, the second ring or second circle is the, is the process which is where habits lie. It's what we do. Mm-hmm. So the middle is who we are. Second is what we do. And the third are the outcomes in our lives, the, the kind of consequences or outcomes. So what we get. Yeah. So most of us, when we're setting out to do habits, we always start out with outcomes. What do you want? Yeah. Oh, I want to lose 10 pounds. I want to, you know, I want to make 15% more in my business this year. I want, you know, I want these gold. I have goals, goals, goals. It's all about yeah. goals. Yeah. So James Clear's argument, and I find it, I do find it very persuasive is that we're starting instead of from outcomes to process to identity, which is the direction most of us think of habits in, he says, what we really should do is start out with who we want to become. Like what is the best version of ourselves actually look like? Yeah. And I love that. That actually, that stood out to me so much. It's counter what I've, my whole life, I've always, you know, begin with the end in mind, begin with the end in mind, begin with the end in mind. Mm -hmm. Um, after listening to this, I just, in my, in my things that I do every day, I found so many instances where there, there are habits that I want to break. Um, and I'm thinking to myself, I'll just give you an example. So, um, when I do the dishes, I generally leave one dish in the sink. couple of reasons. Number one, I just don't find myself to be a finisher. <laughs> I think I've told myself as a busy mom so many times that like, I don't have to finish that. I don't have time that I've become like almost an intentional finisher where I can like look at the spoon and be like, I don't have to put you in the dishwasher. I don't want to. 
But yeah. it's, but as that becomes an exponential problem, then I can walk around the house and in every room of the house, there's one thing that's left undone and right. it adds up, right? Right, sure. And this was the first example that I thought of where if I can change you know, my, my self-talk and my identity and say, you know what, Emily, you are a finisher. Mm. You finish what you start. Then that identity is going to change my process and my outcome. Yeah. Right. I loved that. It's a really powerful way to look at it, right? Yeah. And so applicable to so many like little, those little like two minute habits. He talks about like doing things in two minutes. Mm-hmm. Let, let me let me just briefly mention on the identity thing because this is so important. That you use the word finisher. A lot of identities end in er because it makes yeah. the word a noun, which is a what describes you, right? Yeah. Hard worker, giver, um, leader, whatever, whatever it is. And it doesn't Martyr. always. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't have to end in that. You know, you could be someone who's fit. Um, uh-huh. Someone who's. Um, the point is, it's a noun. It's about you. It describes you. Um, James March at Stanford has a, a lovely line of research um, around changing via this vehicle of identity. And what he's found is that it, it's really asking yourself, you know, who you are, really who yeah. you want to become. Yeah. Who do you want to become? Not necessarily who you are in the current moment, but who do you want to become? And then using that identity. Okay, so I'm a I'm a leader. All right, great. So what would a leader do in a situation like this? Mm-hmm. There's a there's a natural follow-up to that identity. And it's what would a person like me do in a situation like this? Yeah. And then that motivates you to, to, to maintain consistency with the identity that you already have inside. Yeah. As opposed to, so this is a logic of identity instead of a logic of consequence. Typically we think of pros and cons mm-hmm. and like, oh, these out, it's like more outcome-based. And this is like, mm-hmm. this is just a very different way to think about how to motivate ourselves. I love the way that he was able to frame that because I know so much of our identity is in our self-talk and our mm-hmm. and and how we see ourselves, how we perceive ourselves. Yeah, so what's nice about that is we have control over that. So okay. the two the two minutes, the or the small amount of time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So B, BJ Fogg, author of the book Tiny Habits and sort of research around mini or tiny habits. Um he 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 recommends one to five minutes. Stephen Geis mm-hmm. also um who's an author of a book called Mini Habits, uh one one to five minutes in general. So when you're making a new habit, you're sort of planting that seed. I think of it really like you're planting a habit seed and you're trying to get it to grow roots and sprout a little bit. Um, one to five minutes. And that's, that's a crazy short amount of time for most of us. Most of us think, God, I'm not doing it for 10 or 20. Isn't that kind of a waste of time? Um, but no, it, it really isn't. Um, and, and, and yeah, uh, James Clear's recommendation is, is sort of two minutes as a, as a nice starting place. If, if in doubt, yeah. do it for two minutes. Well, and that circles back around to this idea of if you start it and do it consistently for two minutes, once the habit of the consistency is there, then like, I'd like to read more. So I'm going to sit down and read one page. It takes me two minutes. Mm-hmm. But once you're in the habit of reading every single day, then 
you can read more? Yeah, you can. So, so there's a nice model here and James Clear doesn't go into this. I, I, it's Stephen Geis, who's really elaborated on this. He wrote a book called Elastic Habits as well. Um, I find that one of my favorite systems and currently the one I'm using is that I have a small, medium and large version okay. of each habit that I do every day. Mm-hmm. So, so I have a running habit. Um, it started out like sunshine walks. It was very small. Uh, I built it up over a period of about six months mm-hmm. and um, now it's about a two mile run every day. So, so that's, but that's my medium version of the habit. Um, yeah. Every once in a while, my, my daughter will get up uh, early and, and she's coming with me. If she does, she knows that already. Yeah. <laughs> she likes it actually. That's cute. Um, uh, but she's got little legs, so I can't run yeah. two miles with oh, her. Yeah. She can, she can either ride her bike, which takes us longer because yeah. she, you know, whatever kids are kids. Uh, but usually we just go around the park by our house. It's about a quarter of a mile. So, so that takes me, yeah, it takes me about five minutes. And, and that process of minifying the same behavior, given the kind of curveballs that life will throw at you in the moment makes the system more flexible. Yeah. And if I'm feeling really audacious or really, you know, like I want to go big, but you know, the, the large version of that's four miles. So I rarely do it, but we do go on hikes on the weekend and other stuff. So when I, when I can, I will push myself to that extra level. For people who are getting started, he gives us a lot of hacks for getting our habits going. And one of them that I really liked is called habit stacking. Yeah. So habit stacking is, is one of the most effective ways I think to form habits in general. So all I thought it, means, it was brilliant. I was like, this is yeah, brilliant. It is brilliant. It's, it's so, so think of it like Wendy Woods research has shown that about 43% of our behavior every day comes from a place of habit. So whether or not you want to or not, you already have habits. And so you might as well piggyback your new habits on top of something you already do. Mm-hmm. So after I put my toothbrush in the toothbrush holder, then I'll write three things I'm grateful for in my gratitude journal. Mm-hmm. After my feet hit the floor in the morning, then I'll go for my five minute sunshine walk. After I, you know, feet hitting the floor, getting out of bed, while we may not yeah. think of it as a habit, yeah. it is a behavior you do every single day. Okay. You eat three meals, you sit in your car, you, yeah. you, you, you sit down at a desk, you, you get out of the shower, you, you, know, you have a nighttime and morning time routine. Like we have so many things that we do the same every single day. Yeah. So, so stacking something on top of that is a perfect, because brains are prediction machines. So the brain just wants to know what's coming next. Yeah. And so if you can link what's coming next to something you already do, your brain is happy as happy as a clam. So, so the, the way you want to structure that is after I blank, then I'll blank. So these, this, where this comes from originally is Peter Golitzer's research at NYU. He called them, he actually called them if then plans. He okay. called them if blank, then blank. Mm-hmm. The reason these matter is because if you set it up in that structure, you you go from 30% or sorry, 33% likelihood of actually following through on the behavior to 75% likelihood that you'll actually follow through on the behavior. Which is huge. Which is a more than two and a half time jump. It's it's Matt, you never see that kind of effect in psychology. It's a huge effect. Yeah. And the reason is it just plays our psychology just right. Brains are prediction machines. So prediction machines. So you're literally programming your brain. If this thing happens, then do this next. Yeah. And so you write the habit out in that way. Well, habit stacking is just a slight modification of that original if then statement, which is yeah. after blank, then blank. After I blank, then I'll blank. Yeah. And I love that. The other thing that I loved so much is um, 
part of the, the four laws of behavior change is make it easy or make it obvious. Mm-hmm. So he talks about, you know, if you want to eat fruit, don't leave the candy on the counter. Yeah. Put a bowl of apples on the counter, but it is easy and obvious in that case. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are there any other hacks that you want to talk about? So, so one of my favorites is, is resilience because we all miss, we all miss days. So one, one of my favorite things he says is just don't let one day become two days. Mm-hmm. So, so I think of these as blips. Don't let a blip become a pattern. So one day is a blip, two days is a pattern. You're all gonna, you're always gonna have a bad day. You're always gonna miss. So you want to plan for that. You don't want to like pretend like you're superhuman, and somehow you're gonna be able to like never miss a habit. You know, it, right. it's it's like you're setting yourself up for failure that way. So you want to build resilience into the system, and the way you do that is you, if I miss, then I don't. I literally don't beat myself up about it. I don't feel guilty about it. There's no there's no reason for any of that, and that will actually drive you back to the bad behavior. Right. Interestingly, because of the guilt research has shown. So you don't want to do that. It's not going to help. Beating yourself up never helps. We change, as BJ Fogg says, by feeling good, not by feeling bad. Yeah, you you want to you want to get in the habit of saying, if I miss a day, I just don't I just don't let one day become two days. I love that. If you um, if we have listeners who are listening to this and they're like, you know, this is all interesting, but I don't really have any habits. Yeah, well, we don't we don't think of brushing teeth and taking a shower and no. routine. And getting so, what do you think habits, if are. you if you want to take the time to like identify what your habits are and kind of see where you're where you're at, what things you'd like to change, you know, which ones you'd like to improve and where you'd like to add? What do you think is a good method? What would you suggest for someone who's who's in that place where they're like, okay, I want to take this on, but I need to I need help identifying my habits. They're, they're tricky. They can be tricky to identify because habits run in the unconscious. Mm-hmm. Um, decision-making runs in the conscious part of our brain. So we, 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 that's why people say they don't have any habits is they don't experience themselves as having any habits yeah. because they only, we only experience the conscious part of our brain, which is only where decision-making lies. Habits are literally automated and they're, they're outsourced to the subconscious part of our brain. And so we don't often even know they're there. I would keep a log uh, in your phone. Uh, in any time, it literally just like a brain dump. Anytime you notice yourself doing something that you think you might do more than just a one-off, like you maybe you maybe you do the laundry every Saturday, maybe you um, you know again cooking. Um, the house maintenance is one of the most obvious. Chick sent me high. Mihajik sent me high. Estimates that we spend about one third of our lives. Um, doing maintenance, you know, we spend out one third at work, one third at, at, uh, on maintenance, like just maintaining the basic d- daily function of our lives, and about one third on leisure um, of our. Unless you hours. have five kids, if you have five kids, you're spending two thirds of your life on laundry. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, not not that you would normally. Um, I, I, I think know I you can have a, that you, ha- you, you have a crew. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, then it's half your life, um, at least, uh, on, on laundry. Um, but no, it, it's so much. It's so it's much. much. And so and so, what do you do? So, so for example, I'm the dish guy in our family, so I'm always doing dishes. It feels like this never-ending thing. Of course, same with laundry. Laundry and dishes are the yeah. two things that never feel, they feel like they're never done. <laughs> so what do I do during those times? Well, it's dead time in my mind. I, I can't play with the kids. They're in the other room or they're in the family room. I'm... I'm not socializing because my wife's with the kids. So 
I'm going to make it a two for, I'm going to make it more attractive. I don't like doing dishes, but I do them. So I'm going to make it more attractive. How am I going to make it more attractive? I'm going to call somebody while doing the dishes. So I have a habit of while I'm doing dishes, I'm always talking to somebody on my phone. Now, because dishes are so routine, it doesn't distract from being present in the conversation. So I'm calling all my siblings, one of my friends, whoever, um, my dad, just to, just to kind of chat. Cool. Cool. I like that. So tracking is essential. You can't, you can't assist a habit system really isn't complete without tracking. And so um, effectively you need to create a visual, a visual way to track progress. So Teresa Mabel at Harvard Business School has shown very, very persuasively that visual progress, when you, when you create a system, you can actually see yourself doing something every day. Your brain interprets that as you're getting better at it mm-hmm. and it's going to stay motivated. But if you can't see it, if you can't see yourself getting better at something, uh, you'll lose motivation. So tracking systems are essential for that. James Clear has his own tracking system, which I love. It's recommended in the book. Um, I also, currently I'm using the the Elastic Habits framework. So I use um, Stephen Guy's tracking system, which is just on, it's at his website, minihabits.com. But basically with, the small, medium, and large version, each habit is represented by a different color, which I just find ever so kindergarten and ever so intuitive. Well, I mean, but here you have the chart. It's like the same thing. Like kids are motivated to do things. I mean, back in the days when I was teaching dance, like little kids will do anything for a sticker. There's like a razor edge thin line between intrinsic and extrinsic motivation here. Yeah. What you want to do is you want to make the tracking system about progress mm-hmm. and, and accounting for what's done. It's basically a way to celebrate visually what you've done, right? Yeah. Um, and what you don't want to do is put a big juicy reward at the end of the tracking system. Okay. Necessarily. That's, that's the, that's the mistake so like, turn with kids. Here's my they offer stick- them a pizza for reading every day. That's a mistake. Right? Yeah. And that's interesting actually. Because it undermines their intrinsic motivation to do the behavior in the first place. So if you're offering kids pizza for reading, which is like the most common program in any school, yeah. Um, what it does is it says, well, this reading thing must not be that enjoyable because otherwise, why would I be getting a reward for it? Right. Their brain learns that subconsciously and then they start, then they only start doing the behavior if they get the reward and then it becomes work instead of play. I could talk to you about this forever. Before you go, do you have, like you mentioned quite a few other habit books. Would you like to recommend some to our listeners? Yeah. So my top... Let's make it my top three. Um, Atomic Habits is my first recommendation. Um, Okay, I'm going to make it four. I'm sorry. Uh, (laughs) My second recommendation is probably Better Than Before. Okay. By Gretchen Rubin. Rubin. Mm -hmm. Love her. Third recommendation is probably um, Tiny Habits by BJ Fogg. Uh, My fourth recommendation is probably Elastic Habits by Stephen Geis. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us and giving us some great insights into habits and their importance and how to make them actionable and recommending this awesome book. You're very welcome. You're very welcome, Emily. So glad, so glad to hang out with you. And thank you listeners for joining us on this episode of Lovely Books Podcast. I know I say this every time, but if you like what you heard today, please remember to comment, like, subscribe leave a review, leave a rating. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Lovely Books Podcast. I hope you have a fantastic week reading, 
and that you'll join us again next week as we highlight another lovely book.